0: frequently have been asking myself of late what do I say where where do we go in times like this and I want to again take a few minutes uh, to update you and probably to answer the question that some of you have and some of you have graciously uh, emailed me or texted me or instant messaged me or uh, posted on our Facebook page and that is, Why are we not having live services today? And while I addressed this on Thursday, I addressed it in light of what we thought would be the Supreme Court taking up a case from Chula Vista down in near San Diego with a church that had gone to the Supreme Court for an emergency action uh, to see if what was being done to churches was against the First Amendment. And lo and behold... By tomorrow, uh, we will have yet another set of laws, and we have a new set of them today. And what happened was this. The Supreme Court took up the case before them of the South Bay Pentecostal Church in Chula Vista near San Diego, uh, who made a First Amendment case that the church was being discriminated against, and they flatly denied that that was occurring. Chief Justice Roberts Uh, sided with the more liberal judges on the court, the highest court in our land, and declared that in fact churches are not being discriminated against. And I'm going to say something that may shock some of my brothers who occupy pulpits in this country. Um, I agree with Justice Roberts, and here's why. Uh, Churches are being discriminated against in the sense that if you happen to pastor one as I do, uh, this happens to be a mega church, a very large mega church. And so we are not allowed to have 25% of our occupancy. We can only have 100. So you might make a case based on the 14th Amendment that the law is not being equally applied to us. But the First Amendment is the right to practice our faith. That is not being abridged. We're doing that right now via the Internet. But what Chief Justice Roberts said was this, we're also not allowing people to go into a sporting event, a stadium or a sports arena or movie theaters and for a very specific reason. That's because you spend a very long period of time in close proximity to others in those places. And in that way, churches are very similar to a movie theater or to a sports arena or to maybe a dance club or someplace place. Uh, that would be very, very difficult to control uh, the environment. And so when Chief Justice Roberts made that declaration, he also made it the law of the land, at least temporarily. And so that means it is a law. That's the highest court. And so now we have our situation as this. Our highest court in the land has said we can only have 100 people. And so we are going to embark on doing things that we can do with 100 people or less. They've said that we need to wear a mask. We're going to do that. They've said that we need to sanitize. We're going to do that. But what we're not going to do is break the law. Because our Bible is very clear. And I turn your attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. Uh, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only now he who restrains that, he being the Holy Spirit, will do so until he's taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. In other words, is speaking of the Spirit, and ultimately the actual Antichrist, that the Antichrist will be the lawless one, the one who doesn't care what anyone thinks, that makes it up as they go, and that lawless one, verse 9 says, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Jeff, what are you saying? What I'm saying is we only have one system of government. Romans 13 says we're to obey that government, as does First Timothy 2, First Peter chapter 2, And numerous other passages of scripture. I have not been given a personal exemption by God to disobey whatever law that I choose to disobey. I've been told to honor them and to pray for them, and that is what we will continue to do in this church. And so I want to say to my brothers in arms, fellow pastors who have chosen this day to knowingly and with complete understanding that you're breaking the law, to do so. I have a problem with that. Not because some attorney told me that I could, but because my Bible says I can't. And while I honor your decision to do whatever you feel God has called you to do, I have never understood that the Bible is negotiable when it speaks clearly. And I continue to believe that today. And so we will continue to honor the laws of the land. We will continue to do what the Bible plainly declares. We will not look to fringe passages of Scripture because my citizenship is of heaven. And I intend to keep my integrity of the Scriptures. I want to be able to look this congregation in the eye whenever we get back together, which now we are down to just two weeks before this is going to be revised again. And I want to say I did my best to do exactly what Scripture has told me I should do. And I want to ask you some questions. Those of you who are questioning me, questioning why we're doing what we're doing right now, and they're very simple questions. If we break one law... Why is it wrong to break another law? Irrespective of why you think we should or should not, why is it that I get to choose which laws I will break and which laws I will follow? My Bible says that I should follow all of them as God has ordained that government, and they are not a threat to me. They were placed there for our good. And so to you who say we should act out and be lawless as the church, I say to you, how do I speak to the protesters just north of this church who are on the streets, who are obviously doing criminal activity by looting and burning buildings, how do I say to them that what they're doing is lawless when I myself turn around and open a church, which is clearly also against the law at this moment, that has had its day in court, that was allowed to go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled. What do I say to the mother who calls me up and asks why it is wrong for her children to go out on the streets and to throw rocks at cops when I myself knowingly break the law? You see, lawlessness is never of the Lord. It is always of the enemy, no matter how you come to the conclusion that lawlessness is the answer. And so I say to you here in this church, we will not break the law. We will continue to honor our governor, our mayor, our city council, our board of supervisors, And we will continue to do what they have asked until they tell us we can no longer preach the gospel or we can no longer meet in any fashion, or they give us a law that will be permanent. This is temporary. It's always been temporary and it's always been for the safety of the very people that we want to reach with the hope of the gospel. You see, we who know the Lord already know where we're going. What we want is the opportunity to share the gospel with people who don't yet know him. And if I stain my character with lawlessness, I will also lose my credibility that any of the Bible is true. And so for those of you who disagree, you have the right to do that. But as for me in this house, we're going to do what God's word says. And until he changes the laws, which he could do instantaneously, should he choose to do so, We are going to protect the rights of everyone. The rights to protest over injustice and racism. The rights to protect our police officers who are trying to protect those who are protesting. The rights for us to meet in this building. And the rights for the government to say because of public health, we should stay home a while longer. I hope that in saying these things, you'll simply go to your Bible that you'll read it, and that you will choose to obey it. That is what we intend to do. And so I pray God's blessing on us. We look forward to informing you of the things that we can do to meet together. We're grateful for those of you whose churches are small enough that you can come together and just simply have another service. Praise the Lord. That is nearly 80% of all churches in America are not hindered because of a requirement of 100 people per service. Most can meet. We who are mega churches, that's a little different story. But we are going to follow the law. We will not break it. And I pray for those that are right now questioning why I would say this. It's simple. God's word is true. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to pray right now for the rioting that's going on in our city. And Lord, we we ask that you would protect those who's pent up anger because of all of the things that have occurred in our country. or even the lockdown is playing into this angst. But that's not the real reason. It's racial injustice. And we pray that you would heal our land, that people would wake up, that they would be able to listen to one another and hear each other's cry of heart and do something about it. Lord, you care about injustice, and so we must care about injustice. We ask that you'd watch over everyone who is in harm's way, the police officers, the fire department, those National Guard troops that have now been called in. Lord, quiet the hearts of people. Help them to protest peacefully. They have a right to do that, and there is a reason that they're protesting. We need to understand in this country that we accomplish nothing with violence. We accomplish nothing with lawlessness. Dr. King understood that. And so we pray that as we turn our attention now to the reason we've gathered, which is your word, that you would set all these things aside, bless your people wherever they meet, and would your gospel go forth in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you turn in your Bibles? That's why we've come. Not to hear me give another update, but those updates are absolutely essential during this time. It's the reason we've chosen to do our services live in their time frame. I know many churches have simply recorded and played them. That's not what we're doing. We're actually here on Pentecost Sunday, doing exactly what we have always done, which is to teach the Word. We're going to pick up now in chapter 8 of Luke's Gospel in a message entitled, The parable of the sower, a very, very timely message for today. We'll take the first 15 verses as the Lord Jesus Himself speaks not so much about what we generally attribute to this particular parable, but really to the value of exactly what I just said, which is the value of the seed that is sown the value of the word of God. And so as you look at this, it begins with a little introduction. Jesus has been traveling. And in chapter seven, uh, he's gone as far south as Nain. Uh, he's gone up into the valley that is directly adjacent to Sea of Galilee, maybe to the cliffs of Arbel. And he's traveled around the northern shore and he spent time with his 12 disciples. And he has also spent time with a large multitude of people, teaching them, preaching uh, the good news of the gospel, instructing them in life and living. And as he's doing so, he is now going to illustrate exactly what's been happening. Remember that Jesus, in fact, is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, That his name is the Word, and so every word that he spoke was the Word. And so as he begins this mission, we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8, and it says, now it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village preaching, preaching, proclaiming, bringing the glad tidings of, check this out, the kingdom of God, church. I'm not just an American. I'm not just an Angelino." I'm not just a pastor of a church. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's where my loyalty lies. That is my chief concern. And that is the message that Jesus is preaching here. And the 12 were with him. The glad tidings of that kingdom. Look, this earth is in our home. But we are supposed to be at work on this earth to make sure that everyone hears the good news so that they can become the citizens of heaven. And that's why our character matters. That's why our words matter. That's why our actions matter. That's why we should be very concerned about what part of the Bible we say we no longer believe or refuse to uphold. You see, I want to be able to speak the truth to people and do it with consistency. And so I have to maintain the integrity of the word because it is the kingdom's word. And certain women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, infirmities. One, Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Shuza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. I love this beginning because sometimes, especially in our Bibles, because it was a male oriented society, Jewish predominantly, almost exclusively at this time, the women normally weren't spoken of, and we didn't hear much about them. But in this case, Jesus stops to do something I think we should stop and do, and that is to honor those who have helped us along life's journey, who have made this world a better place, who have enabled us, especially we who are pastors, to occupy the calling that God's called us with and to do it with the highest integrity and the greatest depth. And that would certainly, from me to you, be my wife. That's my bride, the one that God's put alongside of me in this journey. And I want you to notice something. Though Jesus was never married and is not pretending to have something like that at this point in time, he is acknowledging the help of others who have come alongside to provide for him and to make his life on this earth much richer. And those are these three ladies, and they're mentioned here by name. And as Jesus embarks on this journey, as he moves, he's now on his return journey from being at Nain to back to Capernaum. And as he kind of drags his ragtag band with him, uh, he gets back to that place to where he's most predominantly known. And so as chapter one reminds us here, and chapter eight now reinforces he's preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and he's also preaching the kingdom of heaven you see the kingdom of God is, is spiritual and the kingdom of heaven is imperial the, the kingdom of God is is in our hearts but the kingdom of heaven is actually imperial it is ruled by a king and that king is Jesus The kingdom of God is also eternity. It it lasts forever. It's never had a beginning, never has an end. But the kingdom of heaven actually refers to a time that's still ahead of us in the millennium where Christ will actually rule in an imperial way on this earth. He's going to occupy a throne in a rebuilt temple. And so Jesus is reminding us of our citizenship. He's saying, look, you're you're citizens of my kingdom. While you're here, it's the kingdom of Of heaven. But when you get there, it's going to be the kingdom of our God. They're very similar in many ways. But Jesus is saying while you're here, make sure that you're representing the king and his kingdom, not your own kingdom, not not something that you've made up and fabricated into your own likeness. Church, We have an opportunity right now in this time of crisis to be a voice like we have never been before. Are we going to seize that for the king and for his kingdom? or Are we going to be silent? Are we just going to simply try and get by? Are we going to spend our time complaining about what the Supreme Court does or does not do? Or our governor does or does not do? Or our city council or our board of supervisors does or does not do? Or how long it's going to last? we do not forfeit our citizenship in heaven because of the problems on earth. The king is still the king. The Lord is still the Lord. And that is where our citizenship lies today. And Jesus is basically saying, look, help's arrive. It's come from on high. But it's also very true that the liar, the usurper, is still very active in our daily lives on this earth. We're still being tested and tormented by the wicked one. And we're in this together. And it's been so sad for me to read some of these things where people are just absolutely at one another's throat. We've had to scrub so many horrible comments from our Facebook page and the emails and the things that we get, you know, it's just everybody's got an opinion. How about just serving the king and his kingdom? How about loving people with an undying love? How about being doers of the word, not just hearers only? How about doing all of what the word says? Jesus actually made it pretty clear. You are my disciples indeed, if you keep my command." You see, but we get so caught up in earthly things, we forget which citizenship we actually hold. Like you, I, I, most of us probably have passports. I'm grateful when you travel to have a passport that allows me to come back to this great country, as messed up as some of the things are in our nation right now, as difficult as life is for many, You wonder why those rioters are doing what they're doing. Imagine that they had no hope before coronavirus. You think maybe there might be some other things that work there? You think the devil may be just laughing and giggling all the way to chaos? And so we have to have an opinion about who's right and who's wrong? The one answer is the answer. We need to love and serve the Lord our God and be members of his kingdom and submit ourselves to the king. That's it. And so the Lord makes this powerful proclamation. And this word, is is interesting in the Greek language because it's exactly the same as in medieval times for a herald. For those of you who watched movies, you know, where you have the medieval prince or the king that shows up, the herald would go before. Here is the Lord King of Locksley. Hear him. Jesus is preaching the message of the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming it. He's saying, I'm speaking for my father who is in heaven. Hallowed be his name. His kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The proclamation was of the king and his kingdom. It was not of fixing the Roman government. It was changing the hearts of men so that whatever the Roman government did, the men would be prepared, the women would be prepared, they'd be ready for the real kingdom. And so Jesus travels around, and this incredible provision that's made for him is by these ladies. They were his, in essence, his kind of pseudo-moms, his sisters, if you will, in him. And the one that we know the most about is, of course, Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala. As we've traveled on our journeys to Israel, one of the joys that we have is stopping at Magdala and going to the synagogue there. And it's almost assuredly the one in which Jesus preached. It may have been where Mary herself was finally healed of this demonic force that had been her life. But interestingly enough, this little town that's on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, which is very close to the lake. was is filled with with mikveh, mikvaot, these ritual baths where the Jewish people would cleanse themselves. The reason being is they were tanners. They they worked with animal skins and dyes. And so they're constantly ritually unclean, touching a dead thing, going and get cleaned. And so Mary grew up in this town and, and she is affected by all that she sees. And so Jesus touches her with the message of the kingdom, and she's healed. Joanna was the wife of a court official of Herod Antipas, one of the most wicked rulers the earth has ever known. And yet somehow, the gospel touches her life. The proclamation of the king and the kingdom touches her life and changes her. And Susanna, whose name means lily, can you imagine as she's listening to Jesus, as he preaches the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't worry, for consider the lilies of the field, for they neither toil nor spin, and yet, like Solomon in all of his finery, none are arrayed more beautiful than these. Can you imagine? It's like, hey, he's talking about me. Why? Because she was a sister of the king and of the kingdom. That was the answer. It wasn't that her life didn't stink. It wasn't that her life wasn't problematic. It wasn't that the the Roman government wasn't tormenting both Jews and Christians. It, It wasn't that there weren't things going on in the world that everyone could look at and go, I wish that wasn't happening. Look, let's face it. As I've said to you so many times, I can't Stand the COVID lockdown. I hate the fact that there are five people currently in this sanctuary that seats 2,000 plus. But my, ch- my chief concern, church, is the king and the kingdom. That's my chief concern. And so to that end, Jesus moves along the coast of the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee And he stops at this place called the Cove of the Sower. It's directly beneath the Mount Mount of Beatitudes. It's four or five miles from Magdala, where Mary is from. And it's just a few miles from Capernaum, where he actually stays with Peter and Peter's mother-in-law. It's the center of his hometown. He can walk either direction in a few hours and be where he has lived a good part of his life and ministry. He's home. He's finally back home. And he is once again going to preach a message of the kingdom. Verse 4, it goes on to say, And then a great multitude had gathered. They're at that cove. They're on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, this natural amphitheater where if you're down by the water, you could speak in a normal voice and without the road that bisects it now, without all the tourist buses and traffic and things that are there without the motorboats on the Sea of Galilee behind you, he could have simply on a calm day just spoken to this great multitude about the kingdom and thereby about the king. And they had come to him from every city. They'd come from Bethsaida. They'd come from Topka, Magdala, probably Tiberius. They had come from these cities that were gathered there on the northern shore in this fertile end of the Hula Valley of today to hear a message. And he gives them a parable. And he spoke a parable to them. A a sower went out to sow his seed. Now it's interesting because that particular little canyon would have been an ideal place for someone to actually sow seed very gentle slope just kind of runs up the hillside there to what we call the Mount of Beatitudes where he delivered that address that we've already studied. But maybe in the background, he might have been pointing, you know, kind of like that guy over there. Sowing seed. A sower went out to sow his seed. And he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock. Not a rock, but on rock. Impregnable, absolute, solid rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because of the lack of moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it. But others fell on good ground. You see, there are four kinds of soil here, but all of them get exactly the same seed. And the seed that fell on good ground sprang up and yielded a crop 100-fold. In other words, it germinated and then spread 100-fold. One seed, 100 plants. And when he had said these things, he cried, who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you've got ears, open them. Now, only Jesus uses this phrase in all of Scripture. And then his disciples ask him, what does this parable mean? They're sitting there. These are the guys that have traveled with Jesus. And they're going, what does this mean? And then he said, to you, that would be the disciples, the crowds listening though, it has been given to know the mysteries of, check it out, not the decisions of the Supreme Court of the United States. The mysteries of the kingdom of God. Not the inner workings of the Roman Empire. The mysteries of the kingdom of God. Not how local government works in the Board of Supervisors meeting, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Not what an attorney says, but what does God say? What does God say? But to the rest, that would be the crowd, it's given in parables. It's like, look, you guys should know this stuff. And to the crowd, I want to get them thinking. I want them to open their minds. That, Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now look, let's face it. People didn't get everything Jesus said instantaneously. There were some things there that he said to them to get their minds working. Some of you, that's probably going on with you right now. Now the parable is this. Now I I want you to understand something. That when Jesus tells you exactly what the parable is, That's what it is. You you don't have to look for another interpretation. You don't have to extrapolate it. You you, you don't have to look any further. Biblical hermeneutics would say, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. That's what it means. So Jesus interprets this one for us. The seed is the word of the president of the United States. The seed is the word of the Supreme Court. The seed is my personal revelation from Lord, the Lord, about what I should do personally. No, the seed is the word of God. And contained within it, in its most valuable form, is the gospel. But it's the word of the Lord. He says the seed is the word of God. By those the wayside are the ones who hear. The wayside, the edge of the path, the place where there might be some soft ground, might be some hard ground, it's people we might call seekers. People looking for the truth, but they're on their way, they're moving, they're going somewhere. But the seed is the word of God. It's not the word of man, it's not what I think, it's what God has proclaimed. It's the word of the kingdom, it's the word of the Lord. The real word of the Lord, the revealed word of the Lord, the things that we can know absolutely this is from God. Other things that sometimes God, I believe, speaks to me. But that doesn't make them the word. That might be a private revelation to me. It may be something God has spoken into my life, but that does not make it the Bible. To do something like that, church, is the same thing that we would look at the Mormon church and say, why would you believe that the living prophet actually speaks for God today? You get the point? The word's the word. We stick to the word. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the, no, what does he take away? The word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And of course, the focus here is the good news of the gospel. The things that God has revealed about himself that drive people to their knees, that put people in contact with the most holy God. It causes us to understand who the Savior is and why he came. The word of God is to reveal the plan of God to people. It's his divine revelation to us. Why would we ever mess with the word of God? Why don't we just do what it says as best as we possibly can? And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. It, it sounds good, but these have no root. They believe for a while, in a time of temptation, they fall away. Those are people that I would say are casual in their handling of the word of God. They, they hear it, they kind of like the message, but when it gets tough, they go, mm, nah, I don't think so. You see, right now for me personally, let me just be honest. Uh, Let me talk to you as a man, uh, a fleshly, prone to sin man, just like everyone who's listening and watching right now. The easiest thing for me to do would be to throw my hands up in the air and say, fine, whatever you guys want, that's what we're going to do. Let's just put 2,000 people back in here for every service and we'll just worry about sorting the details out later. I can't. Why? Why? Because the word has given me clear commands not to disobey the authorities that God's allowed to be over us. Unless we've been asked to not preach the gospel. Unless I've been asked to deny my faith. And for those of you that think Daniel is an argument to this end, that's rubbish. It's not true. Daniel was asked to worship a false god. That's why Daniel was disobedient. I've not been asked to worship a false god, and neither is the church. Now, you can extrapolate all you want out to some infinite detail about how that might be where we're going, but the fact of the matter is that's not even the reason for the COVID lockdown. So please stop and just hear the word of the Lord and do what it says. Don't be a selective hearer. When trouble comes, if you're not a doer of the word, when trouble comes, you may not even listen to the word at all. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those when they've heard, they go out and they're choked with cares. And again, make no mistake, this is primarily in its greatest sense about the gospel, but the riches riches and the pleasures of life Bring no fruit to maturity. In other words, when you're so concerned about life and living, the things of this earth, when you do not have a kingdom perspective, then you start worrying about money. You start worrying about pleasure. You start worrying about things that are unworthy of the king and his kingdom because there you're not going to need money. Doesn't mean it isn't valuable here. Doesn't mean we should not be concerned to some degree. But our chief concern, our chief worry, is not the cares of this life. It's how am I doing with Jesus? It's how is God working in my life today? Am I bearing fruit for the king, for the kingdom? Is my character intact? But the ones that fell on good ground are those, having heard the word with noble and good heart. Noble means praiseworthy. Noble means without any character flaws. Noble means worthy of the king's praise. And a good heart to keep it and bear fruit with patience. You you see these four types of soil all get the same seed. And so there are some principles in this parable. And they're very simple to see. The soil is nothing but a picture of the very mobile hearts of man. We're moved so easy at times. Sometimes we look at the, the world and we just go after the world. Sometimes we look at the Lord and say, I want the Lord. We're, we're fickle at times. And I think the Lord is calling the church to be steadfast and immovable calling the church to do what the church should always do, which is to be people of the word, men and women of the word, people who walk in the word and who do the word, who who live it out, whose lives are marked by the character of Christ, who refuse to do anything that would shame the name of the king or the kingdom. You see, Jesus is now resorting to parables primarily for one reason, in in my view. And that's to get the people to mine for their own gold. He says, I'm not going to tell you exactly what this is about. I want you to dig for yourself. I want you to look at your own heart. I, I want you to think about what's growing in your life, what's being generated by the germination of the seed of the Spirit in your life. What did Pentecost mean to you? What actually is the work of the Spirit in your life? Can you define it? Can you see it? Is it working right now? Or is some of the seed being plucked by the birds? Is it burning up in the heat of the sun? Is it being choked out by the cares of this world? You see, the disciples no, no doubt thought, wow, this is great. You know, we're hanging out with the king here. But as he's scattering seed, I think they all had to ask themselves these simple questions. Is there some problem with the soil of my life? Is there some problem with the soil in your life? Only you can do something about the soil that is your life. I could teach you truth all day. I could try and give you every nugget I can think of that comes from God's word. I could expound. We could read it together all day, every day. And if your heart is hard, that seed's going to bounce off and the birds are going to eat it. And so Jesus raises his voice and he says, he that has ears, let him hear. He does this eight or nine times, I believe, after his resurrection. He's basically saying, look, I'm not going to be around much longer. You need to listen up here. Interesting to me that the final use of this is actually found in the book of Revelation. And it refers to the rise of the lawless one, the Antichrist. Listen up. Don't follow him. And I'm not saying anything about anyone. I'm simply saying that the spirit that's going to be in the Antichrist is the spirit of lawlessness. We need to be careful about what we allow our seed to germinate in. Because you're going to get the seed, Well, what kind of soil is it going to fall on? This seed that springs up and produces much fruit, as Jesus will go on to say, is soft soil. That's where it lands. That good seed lands in good soil. And so the problem itself was not the seed at all. The roadside soil was kind of de- demonic in the way that uh, it received the seed. It was compacted. It was hard. It was immovable. It had been trampled down. It, it, was, it was incapable uh, of receiving anything good. Of course the wind's going to blow it away. Of course the birds are going to snatch it up. There was nothing for it to grow in. And the rocky soil in that same sense was really disappointing because there's enough soil that it would grow a little bit. It wasn't all rock, but it was mostly rock. And so that heart would get a little bit of a growth and then... It's all over. A little bit of heat comes into your life. Something comes you don't like, some problem you can't stand. Something occurs, and immediately whatever grew up that was of Christ is dead. It's just burned up by the things of the world. In other words, perhaps it's just an issue of having head knowledge and not having heart knowledge. It hasn't made that transition from your mind down to where you receive it with gladness in your heart. There's a third type of soil. And it's it's a ruined soil. It's in detrimental condition. It's already had other things planted in it. It's had politics planted in it. It's had the things of the world. It's had materialism planted in it. It's had racism planted in it. It's had hate and violence planted in it. It's had lack of care for your fellow human being planted in it. It's had all kinds of stuff planted in it. Jesus calls those weeds, thorns, and briars. In other words, the soil of your heart can be so planted with other things, there's no room for the main thing. Church, this should not be so in the life of a believer. We understand that in someone who hasn't received yet the engrafted word, who doesn't know the king, who does not know the Lord. But for those of us who know the Lord, we should not be expecting a joyride to heaven. Life is going to be difficult. We're going to face trials. In this world, you will, Jesus said, have tribulation. Not you might, you will. You're going to go through things you don't like. You're going to go through things that you hate, like a COVID lockdown. But Jesus said, don't worry, I've overcome the world. And so church, as the Lord Lord is saying here in this parable, he's saying, look, it's a matter of what kind of soil is in your life. Is it the delightful condition of soil that's ready to have something grow in it that's beautiful? Or is it the choked out condition of a weed patch that's got so many other concerns? And you could name them. I have been attacked viciously by people who profess the name of Christ because of a political bent. Not one scripture listed. Well, my attorney says this and my attorney says that. It's not about what your attorney thinks or my attorney thinks. It's about what the king thinks. And I'll take those attacks if I'm standing on the side of Christ. All day, every day. That's not a challenge to those of you who are looking for a reason to shoot me an email with some yucky thing in it. I'm simply saying I'd rather be pleasing to the king. I want good soil. I don't want to be choked out with with what a group of people who have some political agenda think. I want to be able to speak the truth and love to anyone. I want to give an answer for the hope that lies within me. I do not want to become a politician. I want to be praiseworthy. I want to be noble. I want to do the hard thing. And the right thing. You see, I want to have ready soil in my life. And to to that end, as we wrap up, I ask you some simple questions. If you're the first kind of hearer, can I tell you that's exactly where the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes who rejected the counsel of God were at? I think Judas was in that category. Herod was in that category. Pilate was in that same terrible company. Their lives were packed down with other things. They were set in their ways and couldn't have seed planted in their life. And the second kind of here might be illustrated by this man Demas who's in the life of Paul the Apostle And as Paul is in this hour of need, in other words, the going got tough, Demas got going. Just too rocky. Some stuff sprung up. He was okay for a while. But man, it's too hard to follow after this guy. I mean, he actually believes that God's word is true. Or maybe that third kind of hearer might be illustrated in a life of the rich young ruler who was carried away by the things of this life. He was bemoaning what he'd lost. He was complaining about his caviar. He he was missing his finery. And it cost him his life. Would we all be like the fourth kind of hearer Lord's own disciples, as imperfect as they were Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Cornelius, in our story, Mary of Magdala and Susanna, Joanna. You see, they didn't have all the answers, but they knew who did. They couldn't articulate the answer to every problem the world had. They didn't have an answer for Rome, but they knew who did. They themselves weren't the seed, but they were ready to receive the seed anytime time it was sown because it was the word of God. They knew who had the seed. Church, you and I have control over what kind of soil we are. And what we're going to do when seed is thrown our way. We have an opportunity right now to both sow seed to others and to show how that seed should grow in our own lives. And I pray we do. Now is not the time for arguing. Now is not the time for shooting bullets at each other. Now is the time for us to stand on what God's word actually says and do it. Now is the time for us to be compassionate and tender. Now is the time for us to do what God's called us to do, which is to be a light into this world. Because men still hate darkness and still hate the light and they still love darkness. So Don't miss the opportunity. You're going to get chances like you probably haven't had ever in your entire life right now to be a force for good in this world. And I pray you seize on it. That you'd scatter some seed, you'd water some seed, that you'd fertilize some seed, and that you yourself would be a fruitful garden for the king. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for those listening, wherever they are, on whatever device, uh, in that quiet time in their living room, or maybe a busy time with family, perhaps alone time in a backyard, or maybe in some faraway place, some country that's war-torn and in desperate poverty. We pray for our brother Jorge in El Salvador. They're experiencing flooding and people who have nothing. Lord, have lost everything. We pray for those business owners whose businesses who are already struggling are burnt to the ground and looted. We pray for those in the streets whose Pain and sorrow has resulted in them, Lord, acting out this way. What is going on in our nation and in our world? We need your word, Lord. We need your kingdom. And we invite you to start with us as your people. Changes from the inside out. Help us to plant good seed on good soil. For you are king and for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.